Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. How y'all doing? Doing good. Yeah, it's, it's early. It's, it's early. early. <laughs> <laughs> it is early. But praise <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has been. Right, we will right, rejoice right. and be glad. Right. Encourage yourself. Encourage yourself. <laughs> <laughs> But I love being at the table with y'all. I am excited for our topic today um, because our daddies are on the table in honor of Father's Day coming Absolutely. up. Yay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We thought it would be, um, you know, good for us to uh, talk about, you know, our fathers uh, like we did our mamas. We want to honor our elders. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so our fathers are on the table and I'm excited to just here um from you michelle and chris uh, from michelle and christina just you know your own stories of your father obviously i'll also share mine um yeah so tell us about your daddies daddy (laughs) (laughs) wow well the funny and maybe obvious thing is um a lot of people think i'm a daddy's girl and i I wonder if that's just because I work for my dad. I've <laughs> I emulate him um, often when I'm speaking, um, all kinds of stuff. So I just I don't even mess with them when they're like, "Oh, I know you're a daddy's girl." I just say, mm. "Yeah, that's probably true." <laughs> but like, I'm a mommy's girl as well. So it's funny that anyone could be both. But I've always enjoyed um, emulating my parents. So my dad uh, wasn't really excited. When my mom told him she was pregnant with me. (laughs) Yes, keep it real. (laughs) (laughs) So just like to get that history out there. And that might be because um, my older sister was two and a half months old um, when my mom got pregnant. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, my mother never had any sympathy for him. She was like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, this is your child. (laughs) So, you know. I don't know what you thought would happen, but um, <laughs> so we have a lot of jokes about the fact that my sister and I are 13 months apart. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> and he wanted a son so bad, y'all. He wanted a yeah. son so bad yeah. and uh, never knew what to do with girls. And my mom, of course, invited three of my cousins to live with us not long after Mary and I were like in kindergarten. And so my dad had five girls and a wife in his house. Wow. A good part of my life. And he would just, every day, every day, he would wake up, get on his knees and pray at his bedside. And Mm -hmm. every day when he came home from work or from doing ministry on a Saturday, we came home from church on a Sunday, he would get on his knees and pray at his bedside. Mm. And every day I would join him. I would just walk in the room, Mm. not knowing what he was talking about, not knowing if, oh, is he, does he want to be alone? I'm just going (laughs) to slide in here. That doesn't matter. Mm. Right. I'm like, well, yeah, you got five children. So I'm, I'm going to be right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I grew up next to my dad praying on his knees. And I I think that that taught, I was learning. He was teaching me without trying to teach me. So that's part of um, 
my deep love for my father. The other piece of that is my dad can't sing, y'all. I mean, he tries. <laughs> but everyone else in my household can sing. And wow. um, and he's, you know, he's got a cute, high-pitched tenor voice. It's so sweet. Mm. But um, he really can't. Don't give him no microphone and ask him to lead a song. But that means that all of his musical senses are so much more in tune, right? Mm. So he picks all the music um, in the car. We talked about this, how our dads picked the music and taught us what music mm-hmm. was on the last episode. And so whenever I hear, like, the Winans or Commissioned or Fred Hammond or some of the other, like, soul artists like mm-hmm. Frankie Beverly Nam, mm-hmm. my mother was never happy when we listened to, quote, unquote, Center music. She was holiness. <laughs> she still is very holiness. Lady wears skirts all day. Hey, hey. But um, but my father <laughs> taught me what a good tune is. He taught me how to jam out to the Temps and the Stevie, yeah, to the Motown great. classics. So I really appreciate him for that. And it's been a blessing. It's been a huge blessing. Um, I I bought my dad a whole big collection of the Winans albums. He Ooh. he doesn't listen to the show. Or not often enough, I guess, but he won't know. <laughs> I'm gonna surprise him with a whole big stack of yes. wine and CDs. Yeah. That's me and my dad. That's oh, Mikey, good. Mike. Yeah, you know, I honestly, I, I assumed also that you were a daddy's girl. I have to say, because you guys, you're so close, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, oh yeah, I would just, yeah. That was a uh, my own assumption as well. So thank you for um, uh, unpacking that. So, what about you, C? How about your dad? You know, my dad's a Mike too, Michelle. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> referred to as Big Mike. And, um, and yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm a daddy's girl or not. I mean, I, I do love my dad. I've grown to enjoy him more. And it's, it's I mean, you know, because when they're not parenting you, they take on a bear, they become more human, I think. Right. It's so true. That's um, true. And, so, and I do, I have had that conversation in my own head like, how do I see my parents as actual people, not just as like my parents? And because um, they're they're very well liked people, like in, within their community, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they're ve- they're very likable. Like even, like I'm saying this like in a very abstract way, like looking outside of myself as their daughter. Like they're likable people. I grew up in a house um, that had company every day, um, and mm-hmm. people would just pop in. My dad loves to cook, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, one of my, I was the, the child who was like dad's assistant. And so we did the grocery shopping together. We loved to get deals. Um, although sometimes those deals meant very sketchy food um, that he would buy. So he would buy food that oh, I was Lord. like, oh, I was like, I don't think mom is going to be interested in this chicken that still has feathers on it. I think we should, <laughs> I think we should let that go. <laughs> He's like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. <laughs> And my my father was um, it's funny you know because I'm I'm a, I'm a fairly slim person right and so my father's nickname for me is Fats F A T S Fats mm. and um, he uh, I am nicknamed after one of his good friends who um, was drafted to the Vietnam War my dad wasn't drafted and uh, this friend returned to the states and became quite ill and passed very early and. Mm. And so I, so, so all of that narrative to say that I really think for my dad, I was like his buddy. Like I, there's a part of our relationship where it's like, hey buddy, let's 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 watch this game together. Hey buddy, let's go grill. Mm. Um, 
and and in that regard, I think I've been really blessed because in some ways I feel like I have the ability to talk to my dad, but I think men in general, like people, <laughs> like I don't have, right. like, I don't have like a diff, I don't have like a different like man voice. You know, some women like kick into like, I'm now speaking to a man. I'm now, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't have, I think, I think I was um, really socialized by my dad to really be able to see men as people mm. and, and friends. And so it's one of the things I deeply, right, deeply right. enjoy mm-hmm. about my husband, actually, um, that he, he's my love, but he's also my friend too. Um, so yeah, my dad, um, yeah, loves to cook. Um, he was a history major in college, although he went mm-hmm. into to business and to a whole host of other arenas like nonprofit and development. But that history part of him is uh, that impacts his storytelling. So both my dad and my granddad, um, you know, my granddad was and my dad still is a great storyteller. Like everything has a story. Every like a long, long story. (laughs) And um, yeah. And so and my dad would like share with me what he thought, you know, like his classics, like his favorites, like old Westerns or musicals. Um, And I think one of the things that I find most endearing about my father, I mean, he's a big guy, like people, I think, would see him when I was a kid. And I think um, to not know him, he'd have a kind of an intimidating presence. Mm. But I would always say, like, but you, you should be scared of my mom, not my dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, little do you know, like, she is the one that we're afraid of. Um, but, um, but yeah, but, but my dad it has this, uh, um, he, he can be incredibly sensitive, like, in, in a very positive way, not like in the propaganda snowflake way, like, but in a true, <laughs> um, in a true compassionate, sensitive way. And so when I think about which parent I've seen cry the most, it's been my father. Like I can count mm-hmm. on like wow. two fingers how many times I've seen my mom cry. And one, one was when I had my first, you know, my first child. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how big of a, and the other one was about how good the Lord is. Right? So it's gotta be huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my father, we could sit and watch like a Hallmark movie together, this big dude. And, um, mm. you know, at the end, you know, we, we're both tearing up and he's like, oh, this is beautiful. Fats is beautiful. <laughs> and I'm like, it is. It's beautiful, daddy. It's beautiful. You know, so um, that's uh, those are some of the my favorite qualities that my that my dad possesses. How about how about you? E? Tell us a little bit about your dad. My dad. Oh, let's see. Maybe maybe I can get through this episode without crying. We'll see. That's, um, that's OK. No awards are given. Don't even try. Don't let's try. see what we that's can right. do. I think that's I can. Right. Um, but yeah, my, my dad, <laughs> it is early. Um, his uh, name is Victor, or mm. was Victor. I don't know how to speak, really. Sometimes I never know how to speak of the dead. I'm like, is, was, I don't know. But um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, his name is Victor. He came uh, to America in early 70s, 72, 71, 72. So um, yeah, came from Nigeria r- straight out of high school, came here to um, study. And, um, and you know, it's funny being the daughter of immigrants, you don't often, sometimes you don't know your parents' stories all the time. Um, cause they don't be telling you stuff. And so, sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was funny cause I was watching this Hassan, uh, shoosh, m- m- um, Minaj, his, um, his, yeah. uh, up. Yeah. Uh, I, what's it called? Homecoming king right i think oh, yeah, it's early so i'm sorry if i messed that up mm-hmm. uh but um oh, hassan sorry that's how you pronounce his name hassan minaj um mm-hmm. and so yeah so he was talking about uh you know how Arab immigrant kids they don't know their their, their parents don't be telling them nothing and so <laughs> you grow up really not 
really feeling in a, in some ways you really don't know your parents. And I think kids just in general, sure. even American kids, you know, um, or, you know what I mean by American kids, um, yeah, sure. um, feel that way too. But there is this weird elusiveness with immigrant parents. And so, um, but, but, um, but luckily I've actually known, you know, much about my dad's story. So he came early seventies, um, and came studied and my mom came also in the seventies, couple years later. Um, and they got married in early, um, 1980 or 81. And so, um, so he came, he studied, my dad was a really brilliant man. Like mm. he was the smartest man I really had ever known. Really. Um, he, he, he knew history <laughs> like the back of his hand, just like you, uh, uh, Christina. Um, my dad was a huge political buff. And so, um, he went to Golden Gate University to do his master's. I forgot where he went for his undergrad. I want to, I want to say it was University of Illinois, but don't get me to lying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, don't get me to lying. But I, um, but he got his um, bachelor's degree in public administration in 1988 from Golden Gate University in the Bay Area, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Bay Area. Um, and he was a very gregarious guy. And so, um, like, I, I think I mentioned in my fatherhood, in the fatherhood episode that my father threw house parties mm-hmm. every Saturday. And so, uh, or maybe Fridays or Saturdays, depending. Um, and so that's how I, I grew up with a whole bunch of people dancing, joking, you know, having mm-hmm. a good time, partaking of the spirits. Not me, of course, but them, you know. And so that's, that, that was my upbringing. That's what, right. That was my upbringing. That's what I knew. So my dad always had people around him. He was the one, um, he was, you know, one of the first ones who came. And so he was kind of like, um, I guess home base for lack of a better term for all the other, um, family members or family, uh, friends who were coming over from Nigeria, who would stay with us for a couple months. Um, so like you, um, and I had, you know, family around me. And so it, it was common for people to come stay with us six months, you know, rent free in my dad's one or two bedroom apartment. Hello. Um, and so, yeah, so we're talking, we're not talking about a house here. We're talking about a uh, upstairs apartment. Okay. In the Bay area. And so people would come and stay, you know, until they get you know, on their feet, get a job. And then, you know, they move out next person and next person. And that's just, you know, how it was. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just, I guess I was really socialized by my dad as well. Now that I'm thinking about it and I'm listening to you all. Uh, so yeah, so, so he was a very, very, very smart man. Um, and he really, he wanted, of course he wanted a son, right. But he never made us feel like, um, he missed out and I don't think he believed he missed out. He really loved all three of us, me and my um, two younger sisters. He loved us, um, just as much as he would have loved sons if he had sons and he treated us (laughs) <laughs> like human beings, like I mentioned, you know, and you know, thinking people. And so, uh, and he taught us, you know, the way America works. I mean, they came over here and they knew what time it was. You yeah. know, I don't know how you grow up in Nigeria and you've been, you, you've, um, you have the history of slavery, right? Which they don't talk about. You have the history of slavery, of the, your family being enslaved. And then you have the history of also being um, plundered due to colonization. So you have this dual wickedness, you know, that, you know, that wow, they've, wow. that they've experienced. And so that's something that people don't often think about, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's something that they've, they've held intention, you know, in reality. And so, so my, my father always, 
taught us, you know, just the, that connection that we always have, you know, to um, our black brothers and sisters here. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I learned a lot from him. Uh, and and, and, and on Father's Day, see, Father's Day can be a pain point for me, if I'm honest, because sure. it was on Father's Day that my dad, um, that we, he became blind. Oh, wow. So, yeah, long story short, I feel like I've been going for a minute now, but um, my father, I guess, apparently he had a brain tumor that was growing in his brain, obviously, <laughs> since he was, I guess, a child, or or at least since he was in, yeah, I guess, yeah, since he was a child, because he came out here when he um, left high school, so... Uh, or graduated from high school. So, yeah, 1988, he was complaining. Uh, um, Father's Day 1988, I think it was June 19th, he was complaining of a headache, a splitting headache. He went to, he was, my dad was very active. He was playing tennis with my uncle. My uncle is Sukwa, and he came home, and he was complaining of a, a splitting headache. And my little sister um, came in, uh, my, my, my middle sister came into the room to greet my dad. My dad was always so gentle and loving, you know, to my, to us. And, but he snapped at her, he yelled at her. And my mom was like, what is going on? Like, you know, that's not like him at all. And he was just telling her, I have a splitting headache. My mom's giving him Tylenol, it's not working. Um, And so she rushes him to the hospital. And when he gets, when they get to the hospital, he tells the doctor, I can, um, I can barely see you. Mm. And so apparently at that point, the brain tumor had ruptured. Mm. and the blood and the pus had seeped into his optic nerve and so that left him legally blind um and um and so they had to do surgery um he died on the table for two minutes and they had lost him brought him back to life by god's grace um and i hadn't seen my dad that that was the last time i had seen my dad for a whole year i believe um because they had this i don't big halo thing I think on his head and his eyes were moving in all kinds of different directions so we couldn't see him and also my father had lost his um short-term memory and Mm -hmm. so in his mind he was back in Nigeria oh wow yeah and so he could remember you know so he thought he was really back in Nigeria so he couldn't remember my youngest sister who was born in 86 Right, he had the tumor in '88, or this trauma, this traumatic event in '88. So he couldn't remember her. So he lost his short-term memory. He could remember me, um, though, and I think he could remember my middle sister. And so it took a year, some years, for him to rehabilitate. Eventually, his short-term memory came back, um, but he would still, you know, um, forget things, right, because of, um, you know, because of that that event. So, anyways, I, it's a long story, but. I actually did write about my father uh, last year, last Father's Day, because last Father's Day was a tough one for me. Um, but you know what? We were grateful to have my father um, back, though he wasn't able to work, so he was never able to use his degree. He was never able to, mm. um, you know, to, yeah, he was never able to put that degree to use um, with regard to actually drawing income or working, right? Um and um, he had to learn Braille. He had to learn how to eat again, walk again. I mean, everything. That's, you know, he was a vegetable, a vegetable initially and then uh, rehabilitated. So, and, and I grew up fast, obviously. I became a co-parent. Um, yeah. And then in 2001, my father, uh, my heavenly father, July 1, 2001, took my father. He, my dad had a stroke. Mm. Um, actually, the week... After I graduated from high school in 2000, my dad had a stroke um, mm. that, you know, which went through another whole traumatic event and, you know, 
yeah, so that's another story. But yeah, then and he did he did pass away in July two thousand one. So mm-hmm. I know that was kind of depressing story. But but yeah, that was that was my father. Uh, that's my own experience. So that probably tells a lot about me mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and why sure. the way uh, why I am the way I am. But I think it would be good for us to talk about. Yeah. Um, our own father's narratives, right? I think that, you know, in these conversations with our fathers, which I'm sure maybe some of our listeners might be having a hard time, you know, uh, because yeah. of their own experiences with, or inexperiences, right? Um, with their fathers, <laughs> right. you know, either way, you know, it could be experience, it could be inexperience um, with their father. And so that absence, I would imagine, would hurt. So how can we, what, what, what can we share about our father's narratives that might help to... You know, just to, yeah, just to bring the the reality of their own experience and maybe how that, you know, bared on how they, you know, reared us and raised us. So do you guys know a little bit about your father's narratives? And if so, do you mind sharing some of that? Uh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and honestly, I've, I've only begun to learn about, begun to learn my dad's narrative over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, really his early childhood narr- narrative. And um, I, I would get bits and pieces of it as a kid, but I think it's been later, particularly with the passing of his father, um, that I began to learn more about what his life was like as a little boy. Mm-hmm. So um, my dad grew up without his dad in mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he has a couple of stories of seeing him. Like, uh, like I think once when he was like seven or eight, um, he was uh, at his home and his dad, this this man who was his father, walked in mm. to kind of get something. And somebody was like, you know, Mike, that's your dad. <laughs> then he, wow. you know, and then he left. It was like one of those stories. <laughs> um, the, wow. The, the amazing thing about it is that I grew up with my grandfather, my father's dad in my mm. life. And mm-hmm. part of that was because of my mother. Well, I mean, I think a lot, I would say 90% of it was my mom. Because um, she, I, I've talked about her in the last episode. She is a diehard reconciler. She's like, look, if you can work mm-hmm. it out, you go work mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew my grandfather as a very doting, attentive, you know, driving hours to my graduation, um, pulling together money for tuition. Um, I knew my granddad that way. My father knew his own father as completely absent and mm. um, and and negligent. And so. What I am so grateful for is that as my father's character, not to deny me the opportunity to know my grandfather, Mm -hmm. because quite frankly, he he could have in all of his humanness said like, uh, -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, like we we don't. And and he could have told me that about his own father. And these are things I didn't learn really fully until much later in my life. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, So that I wouldn't have to feel guilty about a connection or a relationship with family members who, quite frankly, were not loving to him. So mm-hmm. my, my dad grew up really poor in, in Baltimore. My family still lives, most of my family still lives in Baltimore. I love Baltimore. You will hear me talk about it in just <laughs> gushing ways. Um, home of Thurgood Marshall and Billie Holiday. I, mean, I go on and on. <laughs> um, Our listeners know now. They, they know. And now they know. Thank you. Come, come to Charm City, please. The city that reads. <laughs> That's, that's what it was known when I was a kid, the city that reads. Um, but um, so, yeah, so my dad grew up really poor in, in a house that was in an alley, is how he described it. Mm. And 
he just has all these amazing stories of things that are like both traumatic and funny, which is, you know, how, how we cope. <laughs> and so, um, so it included things like his mom scraping together money to buy really old bread to make, you know, bread pudding or, um, it being, it being really, really cold, um, and her needing to heat the house and using all of his comic books to do that <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, he, so every time you watch a comic book you know one of these superhero movies he's like you know i did have the original of that until that day it got cold you know he, he brings back those stories um but yeah my dad made decisions he's he's a he's a pretty bright guy and so he made a decision in terms of college to stay in the city of baltimore mm-hmm. that's where he met my mom at a small historically black college mm-hmm. coppin state um named after a black woman and um but he could have certainly went away. Part of his desire to stay in the city of Baltimore, and I think the reason why I can't get him to leave that part of the country even now or leave Baltimore is because he he wants to be close to his mother. He's the oldest son. Um, and my grandmother is in her 90s um, in, a, in a spitfire. And um, Sharba's attack was valedictorian of her high school, um, but, uh, but, you know, but denied, but, but was a domestic. Um, in her life. And so anyway, that's a little bit about, you know, who my dad is. And so when I think about the qualities that he has that I'm like, oh, dad, you know, I wish you didn't see things this way. I wish you could be more like this. I try to put that in conversation with what does it mean um, to grow up in the reality that he grew up in Mm -hmm. and yet have um, yet always be present. My father worked at home a lot of his professional career. My dad was always around. Um, and which is the absolute opposite of the experience that he had. So I'm, I'm, I'm deeply indebted. Mm. Um, and my girls have some of that because my dad, my, my husband does a fair amount of his work for the church at home. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways he's there more than I am there. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so I have two girls, like I grew up with just a sister. And so, um, I'm just so grateful, um, that he, he wasn't hard hearted, Mm -hmm. that he broke a pattern by God's grace, yeah. um, and that he gave me what he didn't have. Um, mm-hmm. Because most people don't, they can't give you what they don't have. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I really yeah. believe that that was a gift from God. Amen, amen, I, I, I believe so too. Wow, thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. That is so good. Yeah, that I'm was. Like learning mm. so much about my sisters at the I table. Know. I mean, like, I feel like everyone should sit down with their friends and just hear <laughs> their and You don't have to stories. record it. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to That's the, the weird whole, part. That's the the whole world doesn't need to know. It doesn't have to know your business. <laughs> like, you can record it, but then, you know, don't try to start a podcast. Take it from us. <laughs> and then rate and review Truth's Table. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. That's good. How about you, Em? What about your dad's narrative? Oh, my goodness. Uh, what is so funny is that, E, as you were describing um, yeah. the, the whole situation behind being immigrant families, not yes. being open about their past, I feel like my dad always told stories about himself and how he experienced things but he did not open up about how he was raised what he Mm. saw what he did not see what he felt like he missed out on it's a black folk thing and i really i really think so we do family business inside the family we don't like to speak i think it's just a black folk thing i mean we just do not like to speak on past yes (laughs) yes and and the way that we cope it's oh it's deep 
It's deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even find myself doing that when my kids ask me questions and I'm going, ooh, I see why you wouldn't tell a four-year-old <laughs> the truth <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. For sure. Right. Um, and no matter how hard, we, how hard we try, it's going to come out at some point or mm-hmm. our kids are going to tell us, I'm not satisfied with your answer that you gave me five years ago. Mm. That's what I've been doing to my dad my whole life, the poor man. But I've always felt like there's a reason that this man breaks down in tears. And I just started thinking of my vivid memories of my father weeping uh, when C said um, uh, dad cried more than mom or something, I think he said. And I had very much the same experience where my dad would just break into tears. He burst into tears the first Sunday that he was to take a pulpit at a Presbyterian church. He stood in the kitchen and wept that uh, that our Mm. our mother, the Pentecostal church, the the Kojic Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. uh, that mothered my family. He wept that God's call would take him away from. Um, just being immersed in black culture so constantly. Mm. And he felt guilty. He felt terrible. You know, I I know the Lord is everywhere. I know his spirit works everywhere, but he knew something was going to happen. A part of that was Mm. he had gone to an all white seminary where white normative, um, white normative expectation was just really hard on him. Um, But the other thing that, I used to say to my dad all the time is there's a reason that fatherhood has driven you to your knees. Um, tell me, just tell me why. Mm. And it dawned on me as I was growing up that my father was dealing with a, a dismantling of a toxic masculinity that demanded that he be dissatisfied or ill content with the fact that he didn't have sons. Mm-hmm. And he grew up most of his life with a dad who was very, I, I love my grandpa. And I have to say, I, I adore him. The way he mm-hmm. just says what he wants, even to the point of being completely inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but my grandfather has a lot of deep rooted sexism and mm-hmm. he passed that on to my dad. Mm-hmm. And told my dad that women were to be treated this way, to be thrown about, to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, abused. I mm-hmm. taught, taught my dad never to lay a hand on a woman, mm-hmm. never, ever to lay a hand on a woman, but uh, to not really worry too much about laying your body on her if, if she would consent. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather taught my dad uh, how to womanize. And he taught my dad how to keep his car clean and keep his afro tight, Mm -hmm. how to make sure he knew all the words to the best songs from the spinners, you know, to the four tops, to quote songs to ladies, to get girlfriends. And he put my father through a sexism that had detrimental effects Mm -hmm. on my father's sexuality. And so my dad became a legalist in terms of men and women. He was uh, going by the Billy Graham rule sometimes because that was his only option. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when he had daughters, after, after he came to the Lord and received the call to be a preacher and a pastor, then he had daughters. Mm. And 
and the struggle that he went through, the struggle that the Holy Spirit put him through, drove this man to his knees because he realized that a baby girl in his life, he couldn't deal with mm. his baby girls the mm. same way his father had taught him to deal right. with women. Mm. And he began to realize that he was a reflection of the predator that he wanted to protect us from. And so the Lord uh, broke him. And I didn't know that I was watching that until about, I mean, once a year or multiple times a year on each of the girls' birthdays, he would break down (laughs) and tell us everything that he prayed for us. He would tell us everything he wanted for us. Um, He would tell us stories about um, his capacity to forgive his dad, how his dad grew up in one of the worst slums in St. Louis. It was called Mills Creek. And Mills Creek was built for 7,000 people. But during the Great Migration, about 27,000 people came into Mills Creek, all of them black. And so a space that had 7,000 one-bedroom apartments was full of 27,000 black, poor, and disenfranchised people. Hmm. So my grandpa grew up in a slum that had more dogs rats and cats than there were humans and in many of our situations race and class and sex go hand in hand Mm -hmm. in terms Mm -hmm. of the time that our parents take to teach us what's what Mm -hmm. in terms of our definitions of leisure of comfort of joy and of escape Uh, Something that God made to be so beautiful is oftentimes the only thing that you have that you think will keep you going. Mm. And so we misuse it. We abuse each other and and we end up corrupting ourselves. And my father had this deep and overwhelming capacity to be grateful to his father, to be thankful to him. And he never removed my grandpa from our lives. Mm -hmm. And I've Mm -hmm. actually watched my grandfather not deteriorate but mature in Jesus Um, Hmm. and that's that's been the biggest point of connection for me the other piece of my dad's story that I mean good lord I don't know what else is there after that what else is God doing I mean I wish (laughs) God would stop teaching us multiple things at the same time (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) but the the other piece of my dad's story is that um, he he's had Tourette syndrome uh since he was three mm-hmm. uh, and Tourette syndrome is a neurological disorder mm-hmm. when he was growing up again uh, in a family that even though they had made good for themselves my grandpa turned out to be a teamster was a pretty good trucker although mm-hmm. like I said God knows what he was doing on them trips mm-hmm. um, my dad had Tourette's but they didn't know what it was so he went through his young life oh my goodness y'all just my father has had multiple spinal taps um, because they didn't know what was wrong with him. He has vocal wow. tics and um, nervous tics, physical issues. When they discovered that he had Tourette's syndrome, he felt inadequate. He felt wrong. He felt uh, as if he were a defect. He felt as if there could be nothing else that could happen that could go wrong with him. Uh, Mm. He was already trying to struggle through so many issues of masculinity and misogyny and raising girls and trying to be satisfied in God. And when he discovered he had Tourette's, he went through a period of addiction that Mm. he 
didn't want to talk about, obviously when we were young, but now he's really open about it. He's really honest about being addicted to Valium, about trying to find ways to make himself different from who he really is. Right, wow. He Mm. didn't want to stand up and preach and then have a tick in the midst of the sermon. And I don't know if our listeners know what I'm talking about, but um, a tick is just, it's not a bug. He doesn't have Mm -hmm. Lyme disease. Uh, But it's um, it's sort of a gross motor, a movement that you can't change. It's something that you can't control. And uh, it comes from a surge of dopamine in the brain. And my dad, getting to the point where he was face-to-face with the fact that he could not control his own body, was again driven to his knees. Mm. And as I think about the, um, the sheer amount of pain that a man who was raised to believe that being in control is what it means to be a man, as I think about how that must have felt, I can't help but wonder if his very deep personal experiences of being powerless are the very things that make him God's anointed prophet to participate in the dismantling of the presumption that power and authority are the way that we should define value of each other. How is his life not set up perfectly to raise a generation of anti-racists, to Mm -hmm. raise a generation of anti-sexists, of people who are not afraid to call out rapist culture, of people Mm. who are not afraid to dismantle white supremacy in sacred spaces. My dad was made to do what he does. And it is his dance with powerlessness. It is his thorn in the flesh that God has used to remind him that he must be driven to his knees if he is to rise up a faithful servant. So I am thankful, uh, despite the sadness, for my father being willing to share his story. Mm, that was so powerful. There's so much redemption um, in that story. Like, nothing's wasted, you know? And mm-hmm. God really does um, give beauty for ashes. Like, wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That's barely, yeah, <laughs> gives so much more insight. And, like, yeah, I don't know. That was powerful. Um, I think... When I think about my own dad, um, I think about the fact that, uh, I don't know if I didn't talk about my dad's appearance, but my dad was very, uh, a very handsome man. Uh, and uh, he looked like James Earl Jones. And he what? had, okay. uh, yeah, that's what my, that's really just was what my dad looked like. Um, uh-huh. He was light, had light eyes. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, people would call one of my uncles, uh, who's now deceased, uh, would call him Dawa, which just talks about his his cat eyes, cat eyes, you know. And so, um, and so when you see him on the outside, you think, wow, you know, he's just this, you know, just very handsome, you know, great physique, all this, you know. Um, but you don't, you're looking in those eyes, you don't really get the full picture, you know, of 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 what he's seen. You know, but mm-hmm. if you hear his story, you go, wow, oh, dang, he's been through some things, right? Um, in which now you've heard, you know, some of what's happened. But 
but I know that I don't, I don't know too, too much, but I do know that, uh, my father loved his father. <laughs> and so he loved my grandfather. He, he, uh, he just, yeah, he just, he loved my, my grandfather so much. My grandfather was, um, we used to work at the Nigerian embassy here in DC, in, in DC. And, um, he also went to Howard university while he was out here. So he was a really educated mm. man and, you know, um, very much, um, uh, very much uh, studied and learned, um, but my my father is actually the product of divorce, uh, which is very rare. Um, well, I should, at that time, let me say that, at that time in Nigeria, it was rare, you know, for husband and wives to part ways. Let's say that they might do it informally, but to actually get like a divorce was like, huh? You know, you're talking about back in let's see, sixties, you know, some somewhere around there. Um, and I don't know why the marriage, uh, dissolved. I do know that, uh, my grandpa had, um, a child with another woman that much I do know. And so whether that was what, I don't know. I really, I, I don't know what it is. I asked my mom, she's like, I don't, I don't know. You know, people don't say, they don't talk. And so people don't talk about their, their junk. But, um, I do remember my mom telling me though, that my father in high school, he heard about this, right? This was like, I don't, his parents didn't tell him that he had another child. Um, it, he found out, I, I don't know, by word of mouth or gossip, what? That my um, grandpa had fathered um, another child. And so my, my dad went to look for my aunt. And so in, while in high school, he went um, and found her and brought her kind of back, I guess, back to the family in a way, like, um, to, to meet, uh, his other siblings so that she would not be, you know, feel like an outcast, that she wouldn't feel discarded, that she wouldn't feel like she, her life matters less. Right. Mm. Um, and so, and at this time, while he was in high school, my grandfather was already here in America at that time. And so, um, so, which is probably why he was able to do that. And so he, yeah, so he did, right. So he did that. So he brought her, um, here and, uh, uh, not here, I'm sorry. Um, back to, you know, the village and, um, and yeah, and just, uh, you know, brought her into the family. And, um, and so I, I'm, it was interesting to hear that story because it's like, man, my dad has always been, um, a go-getter, a self-starter, um, and a reconciler really. Uh, and to be able to have that ability to do that, uh, while in high school, I mean, was just, I don't know. I just found that to be really remarkable. Um, and yeah, and, and my, my mom and dad had a, a, a good marriage. My mom, you know, was madly in love with my dad. And when my dad passed away, she's like, that's, that's it. She was like, I'm not going to get married again. There's nobody else out there that can be, that's going to be like your father. You know, um, he was one of a kind, which is true. My father, like I talked about in um, the, a fatherhood episode, how my my dad would, you know, take care of us. He would cook, he would clean. Like he would just do what was necessary, you know, to keep the house going. This was before, obviously, he got sick, right? Um, but but yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it just, yeah, my mom was like, nope, that's my one and only. And, and mind you, my father passed away in his late 40s. So my mom was young yeah my mom was you know their their peers so uh or they were peers and so and so that was a big like they met that 
you know, till death do his part. Like my mom was like, Nope, I'm not getting married again. And so, uh, so yeah. And there's still so much of a fondness and a love for my dad. Like she goes to the cemetery often. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I, I learned a lot about, um, I'm still learning actually quite Mm -hmm. a bit about my father now that he's, he's not here. Um, but it was, it was amazing to see that though he was a product of divorce Mm -hmm. by his grace, by God's grace, you know, he was able to have, um, to keep his marital vows, you know, and, and be, he was able to be a good husband, a good father, um, until the Lord took him home. So, so that was, um, a blessing. So we recognize, um, that, you know, last time we, uh, did with, when we, when we did Dear Mama, we, decided to do greeting cards to our mothers, but we thought this time it would be appropriate for us to actually uh, close the show out with prayers Uh, because we know everybody has different experiences with their father and just with fatherhood um, in general. And so we're hoping um, that by praying, uh, our prayers will be able to at least touch maybe some um, of your own experiences uh, with fatherhood or with your own father. Uh, so, uh, so M, would you mind leading us um, yeah. in prayer? Absolutely. So we want to um, we want to lift up people who feel shame, who feel inadequacy, who feel that there is there is no way, oh Lord, they can make it, that they can do this parenting thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Thinking right now, Father, of those who have a hard time embracing and believing your words in Psalm 68, that you are a father to the fatherless, that mm-hmm. you are a defender of the widows, and that in your holy dwelling, you set the lonely in families. And so we pray, oh God, that these words would not only ring true, but that they would shift the presumption, that they would shift the character, the the feeling that our brothers and sisters have for fathers who have broken relationships with their dads. Will you bless them? For men who long to be fathers someday, but they feel they did not have a father figure, will you set them in families, in your holy dwellings? Will you set women who feel lonely um, as they do not have a father for their children, will you set them in families? Will you remind them that you are the great father, the one who shows us what love is? Will you remind people, men and women, that your grace covers them, renews them, and reconciles them even to people that they feel have not asked for forgiveness. Teach them, O God, the strength, the power of your love that will help them to forgive without receiving an apology. Show them liberty by your spirit. Show them the spirit of truth that gives a peace that passes understanding. And will you, O Lord, by your holy power that none of us could discover or plunge the depths if we tried will you teach them great things that only your holy spirit can give utterance to make their children rich and strong and make them a testament to your grace to your fathering in your name and i'll just i'll just continue um and just lift up some prayers for folks who 
have had incredibly painful experiences with their fathers. Will you join me? Gracious God, our Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are um, a good father. We thank you that you are loving and present and that you um, chastise us unto holiness. Um, and we thank you that you are always with us and you are always near. Lord, we recognize that because of sin, things are not as they should be. Things are not as they should be within us and who we are, and things are not as they should be within our relationships. Lord God, we know that we do not honor you in the way that we interact with others. We do not honor you in the way that we uh, see other people. And Lord, we, we recognize that even right now, there may be listeners who have been deeply and legitimately wounded by their fathers deeply wounded by biological fathers and stepfathers and father figures, and they've been wounded in ways um, that have to do with uh, their physical well-being, their emotional health. They have um, been sexually abused. They've been victimized. They have been ignored. They have been uh, left to fend on their own without the love and the care and the compassion of a father. And to them, God, we say that we are truly sorry and that we empathize as best we can. And we ask you, O oh Father, that you would be the Father that binds up wounds, that you would be the Father that runs to the wounded child with the, the bleeding knee um, and cares for them and sees them, and that no pain is too small and no pain is too large to not be on your radar screen. And that we'd ask that you would give them an eschatological hope, God, a hope that maybe they cannot see something in the here and now, but give them a hope in what is to come that allows them to persist and to endure in the right now. Lord God, we don't pray for a pie-in-the-sky theology, but instead a hope in what is to come that gives us strength, it gives us courage, it gives us identity, even for today. So I ask that you bless those listeners, those men and women, who have experienced such painful things. And I ask that even where those fathers might be right now, Lord, that you would convict them by the Holy Spirit, um, that you would shake them, that you would correct them, that you would make them repentant, that you would turn them in their tracks, and that they, like Zacchaeus, will pay um, tenfold and twentyfold and thirtyfold in repentance for what they have done. Lord, we thank you that you are able to stop us in our tracks and that you, are call, that you can call us to do right by those that we have done wrong. And we know, Lord, that all sin is against you. So ultimately, when we sin against each other, we, we have nothing within our own that can really truly correct it, Lord. But give us a heart and a desire to want to do right to those we have wronged. Help us to live a life of gratitude for the price that you have paid on our behalf. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And Father God, I just um, come to you right now with a, a heavy heart and burden, oh God, for those um, who have been abandoned by their own biological fathers, oh Lord, um, those who have uh, never known their own earthly father, uh, uh, who had fathers who didn't think anything of them, oh God, and, and just left them, oh Lord, uh, 
to, to either fend for themselves, oh Lord, or left the, the, them and their mother to fend for themselves. God, I just pray, oh God, um, according to your word in Second Chronicles 16, 9, that says, oh Lord, that your eyes roam to and fro throughout all the earth, seeking someone to show yourself strong to, oh God. And I pray, oh God, that you would set your eyes upon those who right now are reeling, oh Lord, from the reality of the fact that they've never known their father, oh Lord. And I pray, Father, um, and I thank you that you are a good God and that you are a father to the fatherless, oh God, um, and that you're near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit, oh God. So I just pray, oh Lord, that you would give strong support to those who are hurting, who are aching, um, who, who, who feel very lost um, because they've never had their father, God. And I pray um, that you return the hearts of the fathers back to the children, Lord, that you, Father, um, would bring forth reconciliation, Lord Jesus, and that you would um, set um, other father figures in their lives, whether that be uncles, whether that be, whether that be older cousins, whether that be... Um, um, uh, uh, brother, uh, your brothers in the, in the, in the church, oh God, um, who can come around and rally around those who have not known, um, their biological fathers. And I pray father for those, um, men and women who have lost their, um, father, uh, to either premature death or death at an old age. God, we just pray, oh God, that you would give strong support. It does not matter. Um, whether their father died at a young or old age, it hurts the same, oh God. So I just pray um, that you, oh God, would just uh, pour out your healing upon those who are aching today. And I pray that you, oh God, would just show yourself um, to them in some very unique and um, some very specific ways so that they know that you're there with them, oh God. Um, your word says you'll never leave them nor forsake them, Lord. So I pray that you, I just pray for comfort. I speak peace. Um, I speak grace over their life, oh God, and I just pray that you will bind up their wounds, oh Lord, and strengthen them um, day by day, oh God, and help them to cling to you, oh God. Show them in your word, oh God, that, that you are um, a strong tower, oh Lord God, and that, that they are safe, oh Lord God, and that there really is power in the mighty name of Jesus, oh God. So I just pray that you would just uh, set them, oh Lord, in families, oh Lord, and help them to know that you're with them and that you're for them, oh God. Um, and we just thank you uh, that we, we that we have the ultimate example of what uh, a father should be. And we have that in you because you are a good and heavenly father. Uh, and, and help us, God, to always, always set our eyes and our affections upon you. Um, now, that no matter if we had a good example of a father or whether they had a horrible example of a father, it was always meant for us to point and set our eyes upon you. Um, the perfect and holy one, oh God, who gave his only begotten son uh, so that we, oh Lord, would be saved and be given the right to be called your children. That's what we are. We've been adop adopted into your family, oh God. And that, that, that adoption is irrevocable. And we thank you for that. You'll never cast us aside, Lord. Uh, even though our, our, our earthly parents might, you will never, ever for forget us and help us to cling to that, Lord, today. Uh, so I pray all of this, we pray all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies, for just opening up.
you know, your your own narratives with your fathers, your father's narratives, um, with their own fathers, um, and, and praying uh, for our listeners. And uh, hopefully this was healing and helpful uh, for them. And we want to thank you all for hanging in there with us. We know that this can be a, a, a tough subject uh, for some people. And so thank you so much for sitting at the table with us this week. Uh, if you feel inclined, please let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts um, about Daddy Diaries using the hashtag TruthsTable. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TruthsTable or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth's Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath, and our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. Bye, y'all.